Hello again, good evening. This is Oscar Mike Radio. Oscar Mike is military speak for On The Move or On Mission. I like them both. And we are On The Move, On Mission for military and veterans, veterans matters, people who support the military, civilian and otherwise. Welcome to the show. This is episode 118. Oscar Mike Radio is part of the Hoobazoo Network. You can find out more on hoobazoo.com. And we're going to start with the question of the week. I got this from a listener who I got to meet, and they were named Nameless for now. And I was asked, how was the 22-kill casino night? And 22-kill is trying to get out more and more into the uh, greater Boston area. They have a main tribe in Boston, and it was an event in Abington at the Emerald Hall. And I have to say it was very well attended. I mean, if you're a gambler or not, it was just a good time to see all the military folks out. It was a good time to see all the civilians or non-military types out supporting this. And people just had a good time. It was well run. Uh, I know the people that ran it. Uh, they're part of 22 Kill. And they had good food. I want to thank all the... Uh, local businesses who supported this event. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention veteran-owned, veteran-operated. You can find out more in the link here in the blog post on oscarmicrio.com. Uh, very generous with uh, prize donations and support. Very nice to see them out. And the games were well run. People were just having a good time hanging out and uh I think this kind of thing is important. Um, if, if you're a military person and you're feeling alone or if you're in the military and you just got out and you don't have any crew to run with, you can come to one of these events, meet the people, and you never know. You're going to find somebody that you might have something in common with. I met people from Hanson Rod and Gun Club, people from the American Infidels Warcycle Club. Not a, not, a, not a club writer myself, but it was very cool to meet them. Uh, some old faces that I knew and some new faces and some people that want to be on Oscar Mike Radio. Thank you very much for your support. Just a really great time. And again, you know, not much money, but it all goes back into the community to help veterans out. And that's what we're here. That's why they're here. And I hope they do this kind of thing again. I hope they raise a lot of money to uh, further their cause. And 22 Kill, in, in my view, is one of the good orgs to be involved with. So I'll have the link to the 22Kill uh, Boston Facebook page and 22Kill.com. And if you're looking for uh, a way to socialize or just have fun, maybe get more involved with veterans organizations in the greater Boston area, you can check them out. Tell them I sent you. It's, uh, it's a good crew. It's a good group. So moving on to the word section of the week. And in the military, everybody knows the word stops, starts on high and flows downhill. And this is part four of my series on World War One. And like I've said in parts uh, one through three, and I'll have those links in the OscarMakeRadio.com blog post. It is staggering just how little I know about this war and what happened and the effect it had 
leading up to World War II. A lot of people are knowledgeable about World War II and the Korean War, but there is a lot that happened in World War I. And for whatever reason, it's just not talked about that much in books, cinema, you know, TV series, video games. You know, it's just not. The closest thing that my kids had got to it was Battlefield. Uh, last year came out with a uh, War One based game. They couldn't believe the tanks. They couldn't believe the uh, bolt action rifles. They're used to the Call of Duty style of play where, you know, it's just like this unlimited clip, if you will. They weren't used to that. So I thought that was pretty uh, telling that they really didn't understand some of the aspects of World War I. And I thought it was pretty telling that they didn't realize that World War I was fought very differently than other wars before it and other wars after it. So I really wanted to take some time and do a, a four-part series because this month is the 100-year anniversary of Armistice Day. And it's not even really being talked about in the news. And it's a shame. It's a real shame. A lot of people died in World War I. And one of the ways that uh, was a pretty good killer uh, of men in World War I was trench warfare. And I was looking for a way to do a story about trench warfare for the podcast, and I had the good fortune of meeting a, a gentleman who is a private military collector, and he had this book called I Deep in Hell. And I Deep in Hell was written by a um, man in the UK. His name is John Ellis. It was written back in the uh, 70s. It was first published in 1976. I'll have a link to it. I'll probably just put the Amazon link there because you can get it in Kindle, I think, and in, in, in uh, Hardbound. And he asked me to read it and tell him what I thought. I started reading it, and I have to tell you, I was absolutely shocked. I had watched some World War I movies. Uh, didn't really stick with me. The, the only one that uh, really came out to me was All is Quiet on the Western Front. That was a very interesting uh movie about World War One, but there's just not a lot available, and, and as I've said in, in the last three where I'm talking about the Indians serving in World War One, the the U-boats uh, sinking a tugboat off the coast of Cape Cod, there's just not a lot known about it. So I started reading Eye Deep in Hell, and it's trench warfare in World War One. And, you know, I, I served from 95 to 98 and a half. It's a long story, but that's when I served. And I thought at certain times of my service that, you know, I got a, I got a bad deal. Like, life is really, you know, bad today. I had to go out and work when it was 125 degrees outside, so on and so forth. And I read about what these men experience in the trenches and it's absolutely appalling. I don't know if you could even order people to do that today. So basically trench warfare is the idea that you're going to have two sides trying to 
uh, take each other out. And the way to do that is to dig these trenches. And if one side can keep digging enough trenches and getting close to the other side, eventually they'll be able to claim uh, numerical and geographic superiority and take that objective and keep moving on. But what happened a lot of times is both sides fought to a standstill and there wasn't really a whole lot you could do about it. And they just didn't have the technology that we have now. But also, it was a time of transition, as a lot of things were in the early 1900s. And it really had an effect on how this war was, was, was prosecuted. Just the chapter on lice alone is enough to make my skin crawl. They're talking about the lice being so bad that there was, there was nothing they could do about it. That they, they couldn't, they didn't have access to bathing facilities. They didn't have fresh uniforms coming in. There was nothing they could do about these bugs that literally infested every corner and crevice of their body. It's just appalling that, that these men were asked to serve like this. And while Americans did some trench warfare, it was primarily the British, uh, French, and the Germans that really took this to a fine art. And it, it would just never happen today. None of this would happen today. You would never see this kind of thing happen today, right? So it's just appalling to read about this. It's appalling to see this. And, and as I read the book, I, I read about the part where the face of warfare was changing. And in a lot of ways, just like World War II, in some ways, Germany had a head start on the Allied forces. Germany got machine gun emplacements to work and worked well enough that they were changed the entire face of the war. Because some generals from the you know early 1900s, late 1800s, still had this idea of having you know men on horseback and on foot charge toward the position in the midst of the cannon fire to take a position that was really, in a way, romantic and manly, and that's how men fought wars and that man knew that he was going to possibly die so he would fight harder right he would fight harder for the cause and his brotherhood and what would happen was the germans would set up machine guns you know three of them you know over the course of a quarter mile and and nine men with three cruiser machine guns could stop an entire you know brigade because they shot farther, they shot more bullets per minute than uh, the, the opposition. They were easier to hide, they were easier to uh, conceal. And by the time the enemy forces got in range to, to take them on, it didn't matter. One machine gun could you know, put out more bullets than 300 men shooting bolt bolt action rifles in a minute it just, it's just the way it was but time and time again allied forces would rush these machine guns until finally somebody said enough's enough we're, we're, we're getting shredded out there 
And uh, what happened is a lot of times the, these officers would make up their own minds to do things differently to stay alive, to keep their men alive, survive what they had to do. Reading stories about how these trenches would flood during the wintertime and men would be forced to stand into uh, knee and waist deep mud and urine and, and feces and bloody stumps for 12 and 16 hours a day. Holes from artillery shells would fill up with water and a guy would fall asleep in the hole and not wake up the next day and be found later frozen to death. And this was just common. This was just common. And it just baffles my mind that there wasn't anything said about this. And for all the PTSD problems that we have now with the uh, Afghanistan and Iraq wars, what was it like getting out of a, a trench warfare, making it home, and, and just trying to live again? And this is where, again, I, I have to confess my ignorance, people. I, I really am looking for anything any kind of narrative about military men and women after World War I to get an idea of what life was like on any level. And I am having a hard time finding information like that. I know that around that time, uh, the UK uh, commissioned Sigmund Freud to study shell shock. That's what they first called uh, PTSD or you know, traumatic brain injury. It was a form of shell shock. That's what he... Uh, described it as, but still, it, there was nothing, there's just not a lot of information. And I don't know why, I, I don't know why there's not a lot of information about this that one can look at and see and learn from. And, and I, I'm, I'm looking, so if I'm looking in the wrong spots, or not aware of certain things, I, I appreciate anybody to drop me a line Go to the Facebook page, Oscar Mike Radio, and educate me. Because, again, there's just a lot from this war that I simply don't know. And you have to understand, a lot of people took what happened in World War I and kind of never really let it go, and it led into World War II. World War I ended in 1918. World War II was fully underway in 1940, right? We got into the war in 1941 officially when Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. We'll talk about that later. But a whole lot of change happened in warfare because of World War I. And a lot of men died needlessly. Infection. Uh, legs had to be amputated because uh, gangrene set in the bones so bad because you couldn't change your socks, your boots were wet, you'd get a, a cut in your foot. Infection would set in. There's no way to really rest, no way to really recover or convalesce anywhere. And infection would set in and gangrene would set in. And gangrene was just basically the flesh on your body is rotting off. And 
I, I don't find any evidence where there's any mutinies or, or men walking off, 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 off their post. They, they served in this style of warfare, from all accounts, with honor, because a lot of men died in trench warfare. And I'm not sure if us now are different than our forefathers back then, or if knowing more than what they knew allows us to make different decisions when it comes to executing warfare. But I, I really don't know how people would feel about knowing you're going to join the Army, join the Marine Corps, and be put into a uh, hole, or, or, or it's not really a hole, but it's kind of a hole, that's what I'm going to call it, where you're going to spend you know, 18 hours a day on duty looking over an embankment. And, and not only do you have all the environmental stuff around you, you have you know, each, each side shooting each other, working on their marksmanship skills, and if you sort of stuck your, your entire head over the embankment, you're probably going to get shot. Happened all the time. And you just never hear where someone said, screw this, I'm done with this, I'm out, I can't do this anymore. I, I'm, I'm, and, and nobody walked off in mass. They all did their job. They all did their job. And it, it, it's a disturbing book to read. It's written very, very well. I mean, Mr. Ellis outlines the history of trench warfare, the, 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 the methodology behind it and why they did it, the differences between the way the Germans executed trench warfare versus the French and the British, how uh, medical care was uh, conducted, how nurses were a huge part of the effort to keep the guys going, differences in equipment, differences in kit you know for all the technology we have today we still carry just as much as they did back then and you know again for all the the technological advances that we've made in materials and the way we we outfit troops a lot of this still comes down to a good pair of boots and clean socks a good pair of boots and clean socks to keep your, your infantry uh, soldier running well. Because the book says when the feet go and the legs go, the, the, it just causes problems down the road. And, and it, it's, a, it's a very hard book to read. I, it's not one of those you can just sit down on a Sunday afternoon and blast through in a couple hours and like, yeah, I got this. There's no rah-rah moto, you know, yeah, you know, we're 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 badasses, we're savages. No, this is a, a very unvarnished, unpolished, unglamorous view of, of what these people did during that time with the method of warfare that they were being directed to execute. And man, that's just um it's a very sobering thought. It's a very different way of, of looking at life and nothing that I went through in the Marine Corps even comes close to what these men did day in and day out 
and again, when you when you think about Veterans Day this year, and you think about um, the poppy, and you think about other things that are going on, if you see that out out and about, I really think we got to do a better job of trying to capture these historical happenings, these memories, what happened, and make sure that the sacrifices made in World War One are not forgotten because it's hard to find information. It's hard to find books. I mean, for World War Two, there are a lot, a lot of resources that are available to someone. Vietnam War, uh, even before the Vietnam War, and I want to say uh, before, that's before America's involvement. You have to really look at how the French set up in Vietnam to really understand why we got there. But my point is, there is 10 times as much information about the Vietnam War than there is World War I. And, and of course, what's happening now with warfare in Iraq and Afghanistan, you have a cell phone, you have a uh, camera on that cell phone, you can, as a soldier, chronicle your own journey through your time deployed in these areas and fighting a good fight. And it certainly changes what people see when they see it up close and personal. And that's the other big difference between uh, in 100 years is really honestly, the average person had no idea that these troops were being uh, told to fight in these conditions that were, for lack of a better term, just inhumane. You know, someone in Topeka, Kansas had no real idea what the real day-to-day, down-dirty, gritty life was for the infantry soldier in trench warfare. And I Deep in Hell really goes into that, how how it was it was a different time back then. Well, now, anywhere in the world, if you have an internet connection and access to, you know, any social media resource or internet, you can see the uh, cost, the human cost, and the ravages of war up close and personal. And I really, you know, as I, as I close out the word section of this episode, I really wonder how this would have happened if people could have seen the cost up close and personal back then versus just reading about the brave boys who, you know, sacrificed their lives in the final charge or understanding that, you know, dad's not coming home with any legs because... He was in a trench. So I'll have a link to um, where you can buy I Deep in Hell. And I'm, I've grabbed some of the pictures from the book so you can understand what it's like. It's, it's a very, again, it, it, there's no glamour or polish put on here. Some of the pictures will and are on purpose unsettling. He does not put any kind of, of of glory into this. This is simply what it is, what it was, and, and why it was. And, and you will never, ever look at World War I, whether you you know are, are German, French, uh, citizen of the United Kingdom, anybody who had family who, who fought in World War I in trench warfare, you will never look at them the same way again. And if... If that person went and served in the trenches and came back, I can guarantee you they, they were made of stern stuff because more men got hurt just serving in the trenches and actually got hurt doing the actual fighting. And that's pretty, uh, 
brutal to understand what that's all about. So that's eye deep in hell. You'll have it in, um, again, you'll have it in uh, the Oscar Mike Radio blog post, and I highly suggest reading it. So again, uh, we are counting down to Veterans Day, which is on a weekend, and I hope that people will, will take time to remember it. I get kind of concerned because while we're still heavily deployed in Afghanistan and in some areas of Iraq, it's not really talked about a whole lot anymore, and that kind of worries me. But I'm also kind of worried that we've been over there for so long. I, I would like to see an end game to this. And it, and it doesn't matter who the president is right now. I think we're owed an answer. We were owed an answer quite a few years ago, and I think we're owed an answer now as to what is the end game. Why are we still over there? What's the purpose of us being over there? Is the Taliban really a threat? What's going on? I think those are fair questions to ask uh, during this election cycle. I think it's a fair question to ask for our, our, our senators and representatives who are serving on armed services committees and, and military committees like that. And I tell everybody, look, I'm not going to make this a political show. I'm definitely going to encourage you to advocate politically to make sure that people understand that people are paying attention to what's going on. The powers that be will do whatever they want to do until they understand that if they don't uh, communicate and advocate and do what is right, that they're going to get voted out. That's what motivates a politician is what are you going to do with your vote come election day? And if they understand that enough people are not happy with what they're going to do, then they start listening. It's an unfortunate reality, but that's the way it is. So, um, again, that's the end of my World War One series. Like I said in other episodes, I could do a podcast episode for the next three years, uh, one a month, just on World War One, and I probably still wouldn't cover everything sufficiently enough. I could make these podcast episodes an hour long and probably still wouldn't have everything covered. And speaking of podcast episodes, I'm going to close with this. I'm having uh, a couple people, not a lot, but a couple people are asking me, have I ever considered doing this for an hour rather than 30 minutes? And I kind of want to see what people think. Would you want to hear me for an hour or is a half hour still good enough? To me, a half hour is just right. I've had a lot more feedback uh, telling me that a half hour is perfect for a busy uh, lifestyle and you know being able to catch me on the way to work, plug in your your phone into your car speakers and you know getting some omr action on the way to and from work but some people say they, they love hearing my voice don't know why well i'm just kidding there but they want to hear my voice and and they think that i could do some more stuff if i had more time but i'm curious what my listeners think uh we're, we're kind of in this together and i appreciate those who are giving me feedback and staying connected thank you so so much so we're going to shut this one down and uh, have some good stuff coming up in November and December to close out the year. Thank you very much. Uh, I am Travis. This is Oscar Mike Radio, and we are out.